Gospel according to Luke, chapter 15, beginning at the first verse. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, may the words that come from my mouth be inspired by your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, if you were here with us a couple of weeks ago, uh, when Mary Ann preached on the parable of the wedding banquet, you might remember that she considered doing a very practical example of what she was trying to say by inviting those who were sitting at the back of the church to move up to the front of the church for the place of honour. Now, she knows, as you and I do all too well, that one of the reasons that that wouldn't have worked is because the place of honour in an Anglican church is actually the back seats. Especially now when you run the risk of having the back of your head caught on the live stream if you sit at the front. Look at that. Nobody in the front row. This week, I did think of a similar practical example I could say right now, well, you 99 stay here and look after yourselves. We're not going to find the lost one in here, so I'm off. But seeing though I go on holidays tomorrow, I'd really only be starting my holiday a day early, so that example wouldn't have worked either. These are very familiar parables. And they've got a familiar interpretation as well. God loses person, God finds person, everybody parties. But this morning, I wanted to flip these parables. Instead of reading them as the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, what if we read them as the parable of the 99 and the 9? 
Jesus didn't actually name his parables. That's what the church did and has done throughout the years as it's been collated, translated, and restated. So I'm pretty safe that I'm not breaking any Bible laws, but don't tell the Archbishop, just in case. We actually talked about this first parable, the lost sheep, at our church staff planning day on Monday. And we had a clergy conference the week before, and we actually mentioned uh, that parable during the clergy conference. And I've heard... Uh, a number of people over the last couple of days describe Queen Elizabeth II as like a shepherd. So the idea of shepherds and sheep has been very much forefront in my mind, so I found it quite timely that the Bible reading set down for today was this one. It's really easy when you look at this parable in the more traditional way not to see ourselves in it at all other than as an insurance policy for when we go off the rails, knowing that, fortunately, Jesus will come looking for us. And we see in this parable two types of being lost. The lost sheep can symbolise those who have wandered off. And the lost coin can symbolise that those who are lost but don't realise that they're lost. But in actuality, there's lostness in every one of us. We can lose hope peace, faith in ourselves, faith in others, faith in God. We can lose trust, we can lose passion, and we can lose love. So even looking at this parable as it traditionally is looked at, it can and it should include every single one of us. But that's a different sermon. Here's the brutal truth of the practical, practical example that I contemplated using this morning. We aren't actually going to find many people by just staying here and focusing on our one hour-ish on a Sunday morning. From time to time, people will wander in or find their way back. But if we're just caught up in the business and busyness of church, will we actually notice them? I heard Dr. Keith Souter speaking on Sunrise on Friday morning and sharing what he thought was one of the most striking qualities of Queen Elizabeth. And it's a quality that he tries to teach others. As we've seen over the years, the Queen met masses of people, particularly at official functions. And... She only ever spent an instant with most of them. But according to Keith Souter, she had a mastery of being able to give that person her full and undivided attention for that moment. Like there was no one else in the room. Then, when that moment had finished, she would move on to the next person and give them the same gift of her presence and her recognition. It makes me wonder how often do I really notice the one person. I mean, every Sunday I try to model this at the end of the church service. You might see me if I'm playing guitar, I try and duck out out and run around um, the back of the church and catch you before you go out. Um, And I try 
to greet everybody and say hi as people leave. But often someone will stop and want to talk a little bit longer. That might be you. Or somebody might try and sneak past um, by not actually having to say hi. And I notice out of the corner of my eye what's going on in the traffic um, behind uh, the person that I'm supposed to be talking to. I get distracted. My attention goes off them and it goes onto the background. Wonder if you're like that at various different times too. So, what if we had the 99 or the 9 ready to notice the 1? We do have priests and ministers and welcomers, and on big services, we even have ushers. Is that really noticing the one? What if every one of the 99 or the nine was ready to notice someone who was unfamiliar? What if every one of the 99 or the nine was able to give their full attention to at least one person without being distracted by the background? Not just on Sunday, but on every part of church life. And for that matter, every part of life itself. How much better would our relationships be if we actually gave the other person who we were with our full and undivided attention? Even if it's only for an instant. The parable of the 99 and the 9 teaches us to notice the other. If they're not noticed, how can they be found? There's more to learn from these parables. I heard a leadership expert say the other day that there's three levels of leadership and each level of leadership can be appropriate at different times, but he was saying that the best form of leadership was a level three leader. And a level three leader is where an organisation grows without the leader's presence. Now, this leadership expert also happens to be a pastor, and so he went on to say that Jesus was a level three leader. And when you think about it, Jesus might have had crowds gathering to hear him, but he really only had 12 who were really close to him. And about 70-odd who were in his immediate community. What the early church did, and then what the church has done for generations since, has been exponential growth worldwide. So I want us to think for a moment. Were the 99 actually at any risk when the shepherd left them? Or were they actually safe because of how the shepherd had formed a relationship with them and how the shepherd had led them? 
I wonder whether they're actually already in a safe enclosure. I was sitting at a table at our clergy conference that I mentioned um, with another priest. That's what you do at clergy conferences. You sit with other priests. And he shared an analogy that I hadn't heard before about shepherds. And it goes something like this. A tour guide in the Middle East was explaining to their group that they would likely see lots of sheep on their tour. And if they looked really hard, they would see that those sheep were calmly following a shepherd. Partway down the road, the group came across a group of sheep with a person loudly yelling behind them, trying to get them to head in the direction that they wanted them to go, but the sheep were going everywhere. So a brave member of the tour group said to the tour guide, hang on, I thought you said that the shepherd would be in front of the sheep and the sheep would be calm. The tour guide replied, that's not a shepherd, that's the butcher. It's a funny story, but it makes you think, doesn't it? If we see the church as the 99, then Jesus has and will continue to lead us in a way where we can be a calm and peaceful presence in the world. We can follow and we can grow. That's the way that Jesus has led us. Jesus is clear through his ministry in those three years that his attention is not actually on the religious. In fact, as Bruno read for us this morning, the religious were grumbling about who Jesus was putting his attention on. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. How dare he? Within each community, and especially in this church, I have seen over and over and over again that we have more than enough giftedness to be that calm and peaceful presence in our world. That we have more than enough love and resources and energy to care for one another in our hard times. But more than that, we have more than enough attention and intention to spare for those who are not yet members and maybe some who would never, ever think about being a member. There's actually no need to expect that people will get in line and head in the direction that we've been or we're going, in the way we've gone, and come along and be just like us. Sounds a bit like we're trying to be butchers, doesn't it? There's no need to feel jealous when the attention of our church leaders or other church members is not directed towards us all the time. Because we know that we should be looking in the same direction that Jesus was looking. So I want to leave you with a question in the middle of this idea. I'm not going to answer it for you. It's your job. What would it mean to welcome sinners and eat with them in 2022? 
parable of the 99 and the 9 teaches us that we have an abundance that's meant for others. If we think that we've got only enough for ourselves, then we'll end up cannibalizing each other. Jesus leads us in a different way, a way where we can't help but grow. And as an aside before I get to my final point, did you notice that neither the sheep that was lost or the coin that couldn't be found, neither of them actually did anything to be found. And yet Jesus names this as an example of repentance. Maybe we should see repentance as less about moral rectitude and more about being brought back being noticed and being known. The last piece of learning from my parable of the 99 and the 9 should be the most obvious because Jesus actually explains it twice. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It's all about joy. On Monday, as I mentioned earlier, we had a staff planning day. We began by having breakfast together, saying morning prayer together, and then we walked the eastern border of our parish along the beach from Miami to Broad Beach. If you've ever wondered how long that is, it's exactly 4.1 kilometers according to my Apple Watch. As we walked, we couldn't help but notice the amazing property on the waterfront. Marianne pointed out, because uh, she lives on the other side of the Gold Coast Highway and walks that strip most days, that you rarely see any signs of life in those homes. Even walking in the evening, you see many light, more lights off than on. Now, as, as, unless there's going to be another example of our earlier service where I had a delegation of residents who lived um, in apartments on there. Yes, there are exceptions. I, I, but I did notice after Marianne mentioned this, as I was walking past and seeing mansion after mansion, unit block after unit block, construction work after construction work, I hardly saw a single person or evidence that anybody was actually taking the opportunity to enjoy this amazing location where they found themselves. It struck me that the most expensive real estate in our parish boundaries has the least amount of visible life in it. And it made me immediately wonder about how people see the church. Do they see signs of life? Or only for a moment on a Sunday morning when the rest of the world is either sleeping in or at brunch or taking the kids to sport. 
if people found us, would they just see a group of grumbling scribes and Pharisees? Or would they see joy in our realisation of the amazing opportunity that we have in Jesus Christ? If you want to make a comparison, I reckon we've got a better position as a follower of Jesus than the biggest mansion between Miami and Broadbeach. That's just my thought. There's a children's story that you may have heard me over the years use a number of times with a crazy, silly voice called Cecil the Lost Sheep. At the end of the story, Cecil doesn't come home to a grumbling 99. He comes home to a massive party that they've prepared for him. The parable of the 99 and the 9 teaches us that we need to be showing and sharing our joy. When people are brought back, when they're found, where they're noticed, when they're known, they should be met with joy. Now I know there's a sense of great sadness at the moment with the passing of Queen Elizabeth. When you look around our world at the moment, there's so much to be sad about. But one of the treasures of our position as a follower of Jesus is that we have hope and we are able to express and find joy even in the midst of sadness. Especially in the midst of sadness. About a month ago, Queen Elizabeth said these words. Throughout my life, the message and teachings of Christ have been my guide and in them I find hope. Could you imagine the momentum created when the church is a place? More than that, when the church is a group of people who find their guidance in Christ, find the hope of Christ in each other. And people around us hear us sharing a different message to the one that they hear from the culture in which we're living. They hear and see in us the joy of the Lord. I pray that we are becoming this type of church. Amen. I invite you to stand with our worship team as we continue.